welcome to Rules of the Frame. My name is Riley Hardy. Mine is Connor Reed. And we have a special guest with us today, Michelle Johnson. Hello. Thanks so much (laughs) for coming. Yeah. We appreciate it. It's my first podcast. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Sweet. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, Michelle and I worked on True Detective together. And, yeah, I mean, if you just want to introduce yourself and um i'm a i'm a girl i i (laughs) work in the movie industry i've assisted a lot of producers i've produced a bunch of short films and other things museum exhibits some weird stuff like that um and museum exhibits yeah um in in the natural history museum and um in uh over near usc here in la um there's a permanent Los Angeles exhibit, and uh, I helped them not get off track huh. <laughs> for <Nice>. a year. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, well, I learned a lot about LA, and it's like now I'm a geek for exhibit design. So. <laughs> that's awesome. I've always been curious about museum curation and how that works exactly, because I love museums, it's, and it's, it seems like a fascinating thing to study. It really is. It, like, how they store everything is really fascinating. Yeah. Like, and then the way that they have to assemble, like, they just have a collection and they just have to figure out what the story is that ties it all together huh. because they don't necessarily go together all the time. Um, and that was the case with our exhibit. And the other thing that was really interesting is it's just like the movie business is an incredibly political situation with those historians mm. and the museum, you know, um, staff. And it was just kind of like that. It was very like studio versus artists Mm. kind of vibe so it's kind of funny Mm. the classic struggle the classic struggle (laughs) ongoing never ending Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah and other artistic works as well like drawing and that's true Mm. i i draw i make little cartoons and animations and stuff like that yeah that's that sums up my credential for existing on this podcast i've seen a lot of movies yeah there you go that that, that checks that's that's all my boxes so that's right (laughs) cool yeah so today's an interesting film um yeah so i mean michelle you actually introduced it to both of us like i had never heard of this movie before me neither um, heard of it. It's called Ravenous, 1999. Uh, yeah, it is a, an interesting film. And well, I love, I actually love to turn people on to it if they've never seen it before because, like, and I thought about really hard, like, like why I like it. And it really, it's not necessarily because I'm not a big horror person and I'm not a big thriller person. And I, I, I do like period and I do like Old West and stuff like that, but it's, it's really not something like you would think I would even like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just kind of hits this this weird spot of like, like what what am I watching? <laughs> like, and you're saying yep. that to yourself like five times. <sighs> and I was thinking about how like in the in the days before streaming, and I mean, TV still does this, but when I was growing up, it would just be like you'd leave the TV on on the weekend and whatever was playing would be playing. And that's how I first saw this movie. And, mm. and it was just one of those things where you know, it's like, do you stop or not? And it <laughs> made me stop. And then, like, I just was like, this is so crazy. And then everyone I ever talk to um, about it, they always get really obsessed with the score because it's 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 very distinct and mm-hmm. in the way that it's utilized is very... I don't know. It's like... It's almost over the top and out of place in a lot of places, but I think that that helps you with the tone of what the, what the movie is. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I do, I do kind of love... Uh, kind of 
turning people onto it and <laughs> finding out what they think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely very interesting. Um, well, before we really dig into the discussion, I'll start off with a summary of it. Uh, so the film takes place in 1874 in America, um, and this is right in the middle of the Mexican-American War, and uh, the main character, Captain John Boyd, survived uh, this battle that um, was being fought, and he was able to survive because he basically played dead and was captured, or his body was taken behind enemy line, lines, and he had a huge pile of his fallen comrades' bodies on top of him, and he couldn't get out until some of their blood poured into his mouth, which gave him the strength in order to uh, kind of get out of there. And he ended up taking the fort and kind of being decorated, but also shamed because of his cowardly actions and not fighting whenever everyone else was just dying around him. So he gets promoted, but also sent to this place called Fort Spencer. And there he meets up with Colonel Hart, who introduces him to, I think there's like six or seven other soldiers there. Um, each of them with their own distinctive personalities and quirks. Like, you know, there's like the drunk and like the intense soldier and just like all these, you know, different personas, really interesting characters. Um, and then one night there's, they find this man who is wandering around the encampment and find out that he, his uh, caravan that was traveling got stranded in a storm. And so they had to hide into a cave and the storm lasted longer than they expected. And so in order to survive, um, they had to convert to cannibalism whenever one of their members died in there. But then there was a soldier with them who he claims ended up starting killing people to eat their flesh. And so uh, he decided to run away. And by that time, it was just the soldier and one woman. So Colonel Hart decides to um, kind of lead an expedition out to the cave to try to rescue the woman, see if she's out there. At one point, uh, one of the privates there, he gets injured and in the middle of the night he discovers Calhoun, who's the um, the survivor licking him in the middle of the night. So they tie him up and they're walking around. They finally discover the cave and Calhoun starts just freaking out and everyone's kind of spooked. And so um, Boyd and one of the other privates, Private Reich, uh, they decide to go in while everyone else is kind of waiting around and looking among the remains and Colonel or Private Reich finds out that it's actually a trap and that Calhoun actually ended up eating everyone else. And so Calhoun kind of breaks loose and finds a knife that he had buried there and uh, kills Private Toffler. And um, he stabs uh, Colonel Hart, but you discover later on that he doesn't actually kill him. He just kind of like drags him off. So he kills um, Private Toffler and George. And so... Boyd and Reich end up chasing after him, but he kills Reich, and Boyd and Reich's body fall off the cliff, and they kind of roll down for a while. They end up in this pit, which disguises them from Calhoun, but Boyd's leg is broken, and so in order to survive after a while, he is also forced to eat Reich and gets healed and so returns to the fort. And whenever he gets back to the fort, he realizes that the general has replaced Colonel Hart with Colonel Ives, who is actually Calhoun, and tries convincing them that he's the murderer and cannibal, but no one actually believes him. Uh, After a while, Private Cleaves' body, who's one of the other members, is found bloodied and dead on top of the roof, and so they think it's Boyd. So they tie him up, and at this point, Martha has to go off and tell them that, or tell the other officers that some of their members died and that they need to replace them and they need to take Boyd into custody. So whenever he or she leaves, Knox is the only one who is left there, and uh, Boyd is trying to 
warn him, but doesn't do so in time. And actually, Colonel Hart returns from the dead, kills Knox, and makes a stew out of him. And then they try to convert Boyd to cannibalism because they say it's lonely. They need members to trap people and all that. So they stab him in the gut, and he is forced to eat a bowl of Knox stew in order to survive. And then after he does that, he ends up killing... Riley's just shaking his head. <laughs> it's so bloody. Yeah, he ends up killing Colonel Hart, which is kind of a mercy kill. And then he has this epic struggle at the end with Calhoun where they both end up dying. And then the general and all the other troops come in and just find the bodies there. And the general tries the stew while it's just boiling in the pot. It. And he likes it, yeah. And the end. <laughs> the um, <laughs> yeah, so that was a lot. Um but my spoiler two... alert. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All this our listeners should know that at this point. Yeah. Right, yeah. And also I guess we should put a disclaimer that this is probably gonna be a pretty grotesque episode <laughs> yeah, since it's about true. cannibalism. I mean, if you hadn't already gotten that from the yeah. summary, yeah. it's you know, there's gonna be yeah. discussions. So if you, that's not your thing, you don't have to listen not for to the this week episode. It's stomach. okay. Right, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so my two words for this um, are horrific decisions because that's, I mean, what this film is all about. <laughs> yeah. Everyone just makes awful decisions and it leads to everyone dying. So, yeah, it's... I mean, like, structurally, the amount of people who die, like, right away, you know, and you're like, where are you going to go from here? Exactly. That's very interesting, like, how they get themselves out of that. And, um, uh, yeah, like, um, it's so gross. Like, it's, it's and they disgusting. just, and like, and like, you get, you get through a certain really intense moment, like, after he's. After they go to that cave and it's like the craziest scene ever and the guy's just like screaming, he's licking me and then yeah. everyone's dying and then he's falling down that that mountain and he, you know, he's like covered up in, in branches. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you're like, okay, well, what's going to happen next? And then you're like, you go back and it's calm for like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes and right. then all of a sudden it's like the most bloody, disgusting and they find like way more ways to get more gruesome and right. show more body parts and kill a couple horses yeah because you think like i mean especially with like the whole cave scene whenever there's just like the rotting bodies in there and then Mm -hmm. he goes out and like starts stabbing everyone you're like oh man like this isn't as intense as it's gonna get and then there's that whole like last fight between colhoun and boyd which is just like insane like Mm -hmm. man they're just like cutting each other up left and and right carlisle's so amazing in Mm -hmm. that role i don't know it's just like he sells it so well yeah i think he was great he really yeah. kind of gets you on his side as a cannibal. In a way. <laughs> yeah, the empathetic cannibal. Yep. Yeah, empathetic uh, cannibal. Pardon the pun, but this movie was hard for me to digest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've as I've gotten older, I've I've gotten more and more of a a weaker stomach. So I'm I'm glad that Connor braced me a little bit because he watched it before I did. Uh, so I'm glad I, I kind of knew what to expect a little bit there. So I was able to kind of look away but yeah I was, yeah it's, sometimes it's hard for me to hard for me to digest um but but yeah besides the gore i've I, my two words were misguided tone and i guess this could be interpreted differently but i the tone was very uh bizarre for me and how i how i perceived it uh because it was like okay this is funny in a lot of parts this is also 
kind of scary, but I mean, I wasn't really that scared. I mean, mm-hmm. horror, horror genre. Right. Thriller. Uh, thriller, yeah. Um, fantasy. I mean, there were a lot of kind of some supernatural elements, supernatural maybe. Supernatural stuff, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the music was uh, was not typical. It was kind of atypical for that, although that doesn't really go along with the tone. But I don't know. Yeah, the tone for me was, was kind of hard to interpret, and I had kind of had trouble, like, following along with it because I kind of felt some areas where it's like, oh, this is supposed to be the funny part. This is the traumatic horror part. But I don't know. It could def- I could definitely... Maybe another watch would help, but um, those are my those are my impressions. I was like in the middle of it, or especially towards the end. I was like, I really hope Riley like doesn't like shut this off. Like I was like, <laughs> I, I hope he can like kind of make it through. Like it's just not at one point like I'm done. Like, no. And so that's where I was like, Riley, brace yourself. It's hard to watch. Like there's a lot of gore, and you feel yeah. really gross afterwards. Yeah. And like I wasn't I able to eat meat for the next two days because of that. Like, <laughs> I know yeah. it's really repellent. Um, I think actually the tone might be the key to why I like it, despite the fact that it is a horror movie. Mm. It's because like it's kind of funny and and like I I was actually sitting I didn't really recognize this in the character before, but um, Boyd is so weird and like he's so, he's got the worst social skills and he's just like I love like I love the moment. I mean, Guy Pierce like, is kind of weird. He is. I love Guy Pierce. So I kept much. watching it, Connor, and thinking that that's you. Like you're you. If you just grew a beard, you just look like you just look like Connor's that character. Guy Pierce. I what? see it. I see it now. I'm Boyd. No, I don't want to be. I don't want to be a cannibal. I just, was, I just was like kept seeing you in the movie, which made it even more fun. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is funny. I don't know. I don't know if that's a compliment or like Connor refuses that label. Like, He's has rejecting it. High ground. Come on. He didn't yeah. really talk much in the movie either. No, that was so funny. Yeah. Like everyone would try to get him to talk, and he'd be like, you know, totally not having it, but not knowing that he was a weirdo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not right. a lot of characters like that in movies. Yeah, I actually saw it as like, it seemed to me like to be kind of like a form of PTSD after what had happened, because yeah. you see like just how much it affects him at the beginning. Whenever there's the scene where there's like a table full of soldiers, and they all have like. These really nasty, <laughs> like bloody steaks. They're just steak so on a plate. gross. Yeah. It's like doesn't even look like it's cooked. It's just yeah. like in a pool of blood. It's like, yeah. yeah, so gross. And he just like goes and throws up after that. And like, <laughs> and you know, they just don't really like understand like why he did what he did. And it's like, yep, that's very much a thing of the times because it's like PTSD wasn't really discovered yeah. until World War One. Yeah. And so like, it's mm-hmm. actually a surprise that they didn't just like shoot him on the spot because that's usually what would have happened. They would have said, you know, you're, you're a crazy, deserter yeah. or like, yeah, you're. Mm-hmm a coward and so you don't deserve to live and so I thought that was really interesting kind of touch to his character and I think I wonder if that was more of like Antonia Bird's touch or Guy Pierce's touch yeah. because <clears throat> I don't really know either and then we also don't know like the third factor is there was another director that got fired so right. there was that issue and then whoever wrote it like how they wrote the character because I think there are some interesting themes about masculinity and Mm -hmm. like especially like virility and um youthful prowess and stuff like that that come through like this obsession with with eating the meat in the first place and this guy struggles with being a cannibal yeah he struggles with you know fighting that off um and then he also doesn't fit into a stereotypically manly environment in which he exists Mm -hmm. which i think is um pretty interesting like 
he's just like it's just not for him on any level you know but like on even on human terms he's like a weirdo but then in the supernatural way he's a weirdo too yeah and like i mean even just like his character is like okay like really toned down really quiet like nothing really happening and then there's just like huge adrenaline spike and then just drop again and like he just does like crazy actions for like a little bit and then like yeah kind of reverts back into himself and i thought that was like a really interesting kind of character trait to him where he wasn't all just like a go 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 like you know main horror main character of like a horror film or like an action film or like war hero sort of stuff but even then he's like i mean there really isn't like a hero for the movie no and you and you honestly never really understand what makes him tick and they don't give him a girlfriend they don't give him like a family they don't give him any reason to do anything which is actually to me another thing that i think is particularly interesting because it's like it's just it's the cause for itself you know it's Mm -hmm. like for him this is what's right and this is what needs to be done and there's an adversary and he's going to just like throw himself in 100 percent like I think there's a sort of an intimation that, that the battle that he got in before was, a, you know, well, it wasn't intimated. It's obviously, there's some shame around it. But that, yeah. like, after he gets out of that, it's like this man with nothing to live for. Well, this suddenly gives him purpose because he doesn't have a family. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He doesn't have any of these other things. And he's mm. kind of a loser. Yeah. It's kind of like that Tom Hardy character in the, what's the bear movie? The bear movie. With Revenant. Oh, Revenant. Revenant, yeah. yeah. Um, it's kind of like the, you know, like that guy could go two ways, right? And he could turn into this like fur trading asshole or he could turn into like somebody who's trying to like find purpose. Right. This movie, <laughs> I mean, actually did remind me a lot of that. Not just because of like of the Arctic, yeah. not Arctic, but like wilderness setting, but also because of those two main characters. Because like that's actually what I was thinking a lot of because I feel like well, Leonardo DiCaprio's character reminds me a lot of Guy Pierce's character in this where they're yeah. kind of like reserved, you know, outsiders of like the group, but like know what's going on, know how to survive and like know how to take action. And like um, Robert Carlyle and Tom Hardy's characters are a lot like each other where it's like they don't just like outright want to kill the main character it's like no yeah we'll sympathize we can work together and as soon as it's like nope okay working together is no longer advantageous it's like then i'm gonna kill you you know it's like where it's like you don't really know exactly what's going on in their heads because like at first you're just thinking like oh this is just a trap he's just trying to kill everyone and then whenever heart comes back you're like wait what like why would he do that but like um i was reading about this and just like a lot of people tie it to kind of like tales of like vampiricism of like you know yes killing people so you can survive but it's like well being a vampire gets lonely so i guess i gotta have vampire buddies you know like i don't want to do this by myself like live eternally for (laughs) hundreds of years if i just like have to sit in a cabin by myself and so like drawing like lots of ties together to that and that there's always kind of that thing and like um mystical or like spiritual or like or like fairy tale stories and humanity of like lengthened age is like a curse. And so like, but it's also like what everyone tries to strive for, but it's like, it was just like double-edged sword in that and that they try to really, um, that it's like more than just like, I'm going to be powerful, but like, I need to figure out like what the consequences of being powerful are. Well, I also sort of seeing this, um, like, I think it, I think it kind of layers under what you're saying really nicely. Um, this this idea of when you're 
engaging in a behavior that's either like socially taboo or hurting like you're thriving off of hurting other people or you've gone into the you know the sort of shadow part of yourself and you like it there Hmm. um there's there's you if somebody shows up with some sort of like light moral kind of gaze and is like there you know now you're being judged and now it's like this thing that brings you pleasure is is about to make you feel pain um and i think that's sort of like the boyd calhoun ives whatever um i think that's really sort of the battle is it's like he he's trying so desperately to turn boyd evil like because he wants to believe that he had no choice based on his experience of eating people that to like fall in love with eating people he wants like in order to feel good about his decision morally he has to feel like there was there was no alternative and this guy's clearly standing there representing an alternative of resistance i think that it goes even beyond like the idea of friendship too in a way because it's like it's validation within a friendship mm-hmm. yeah he seems to be having a good time like he seems to be very playful yeah, he loves and, like it. he has the spark <laughs> on his face and well I, yeah i think he was I think that was probably my favorite part of the movie was watching uh, Carlisle. Cause like he, that's, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just watching him, uh, yeah, just portray that character. He had, he was kind of scary and you couldn't really tell what he was thinking, maybe. That was my impression. Um, yeah. I, and in a way, it like brings you right back into the movie, especially mm-hmm. if you're somebody who might be pushed out by the gore. It's like he seduces mm-hmm. you back in by mm-hmm. being an interesting yeah. person. Yeah, he was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, like Robert Car- Carlyle and all that, it's really, this movie was really interesting to me because especially at the time, there weren't, like, none of these actors were, like, really big actors. And, like, it was, like, you're about to, like, reach, like, the peak of Guy Pierce's like, fame because, like, <laughs> Memento comes out, I think, the year after that in mm-hmm. 2000. Yeah, and so he's already, yeah, he's already been in LA, LA Confidential, Confidential, which that was kind of, like, his big breakthrough role. Mm-hmm. And so, and with this... Full Monty and Train Spotting. Right, exactly. And that's like one of the fascinating things to me is there's so many like character actors in here and actors that are so like indistinguishable from like really famous roles. Like from Robert Carlyle, I can only see him as like Begbie from mm-hmm. Train Spotting and like um, Guy Pierce. It's like I usually just see him as like, you know, um, Leonard in Memento or um, his yeah, that, characters. That's all I've seen him from too is, is Memento. Yeah, his character um, from LA Confidential too. And then, I mean, even just Jeffrey Jones. It's like, yeah. He's always going to be the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you right. know, like, and <laughs> yes. so just like, it's, it's always interesting to me whenever you have like these actors who really um, kind of like take up this space where it's like, okay, this is like how I see these characters. Yeah, yeah culturally mm-hmm. and just like being iconic characters. And it's always interesting seeing them in other roles when they're trying different things. Well, and I think it's like all the more a testament to like, are you a good actor? Because mm-hmm. like you know somebody who isn't and who is just an icon and that's all they're good at like isn't going to be able to step into that and make you look at them differently like jeffrey jones is a really interesting example because he's in deadwood and he's sort of similar to his character in this movie but there's a little bit of a nuance where he's he's less bumbling and he's got more self-assurance in ravenous and then he's also in this movie called howard the duck i don't know if you guys have ever seen this movie (laughs) yes and he turns into like a demon later into the movie which is like that's a whole other that's sort of more than ferris bueller to me like what Mm. i see him as um 
is just like this like sort of foaming at the mouth like weird you know um hijacked body Mm. person but anyway sorry that's a digression (laughs) no yeah i mean (laughs) it is interesting to see like where they take it and i thought jeffrey jones was a really fascinating performance i'm still going Mm -hmm. back and forth between whether i thought it was good or not i know Um, what you mean too because it sort of feels a little bit rote right and he especially earlier on in the film he has a really weird cadence that he Mm -hmm. uses like just the spacing between his words you're like who talks like that I think but, there's a better argument, too, for when he comes back afterwards that he's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's weird now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think he does that part, like, really well. And even just, like, the scene whenever he's like, kill me, like, I don't want to live this life anymore. It's like, okay, yeah, like, I really believe him with yeah. that. And I think that that stuff is great. Mm-hmm. But, like, some of the earlier stuff on, whenever he's kind of supposed to be, like, not the wise leader, but just, like, the leader and, like, everyone, like, immediately trusts in him and all that, I'm like... Uh, you know, like, I don't see it in his character as much. And this is, like, a pretty crappy, not, uh, like, reference, but um, he reminds me a lot of, like, the Master of Lake Town in the Hobbit movies. Like, um, uh, Stephen Fry's character in there. You know, just kind of, like, this bumbling, in charge. Yeah. Which is, like, such, I don't know why, like, my mind But no one has respect for that. Exactly, Yeah. yeah. And just kind of, like, this good, like... Stephen Fry does a pretty good performance in that for, like, what he's given. Yeah. And I think there's kind of some of that um, to be said for right. um, Hart's character, where it could easily just be the written off, like, oh, this is just the guy who brings him in there and then right. dies, you know, and then comes back to life. But, like, he does kind of bring a depth to it that you don't really expect. Yeah, he has a little arc in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought he was really likable. I thought he was e- easy to attach yourself to him and kind of relate to him. Uh Personally, more so than than Boyd, at least in the beginning, because Boyd didn't really say a whole lot. But uh, no, I think he I think he did a good job. Um, and he does he he doesn't exhibit any cannibalistic like when like after he comes back, does he do anything? Does he try to attack anybody? I'm he trying to kills remember. Knox. Remember, because he's the one who takes the store down, and he's also the one who killed. Um, and he, does he make the stew, too? He makes the stew. Mm. He kills the horses. He kills the other oh, guy there. he killed the horse. Because oh, Boyd is like, wait, yeah. how did you do that? How did you kill him? I was watching you the whole time. And then like, his oh, reveal was yeah. like, oh, that's how he did it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I liked his character. Uh, can we get, maybe get into the to the myth a little bit? Cause, so you're it's oh, supposed to... Oh, the Wendigo to, thing? Yeah, the Wendigo. I thought that was kind of fascinating. I'd never heard of the... the uh, what's the word? Kind of the supernatural legend. aspect of that, yeah, the legend of it. Mm-hmm. So I um I had read a book as a kid that was like Indian mythology, and Wendigo was in them. And this is a the interpretation that they use in the movie is a little bit different. It's like a wind spirit, um, right? Okay. And so yeah, so it's like a take. Yeah. It's a take on the idea. Like I think more of like the psychological aspects of it than the like. Actual, supernatural yeah. yeah i mean there is the supernatural stuff like that i was not expecting that i was like wait cannibalism gives you like powers basically you know well, like, and like okay then why doesn't like eating i mean in the same way wouldn't eating anything give you that right same exact yeah you know, doesn't make a lot of sense why, and, like yeah and calhoun he didn't he's eaten a lot more people than boyd so in theory he would be a lot stronger maybe and so he would have been able to to beat him easily i guess I would have wouldn't have thought there would have been as much of a struggle near the end. 
Especially if he's like a Dracula type, like, you know, like if that's who he's meant to be, like Dracula is stronger than everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. And even just like, they do kind of like break the rules a bit with it, which is like, because at the beginning it's like, oh, he gains like the strength of that man, you know? And so you just kind of think he's going to become like the Superman sort of thing. But then... It like wears off? He's Yeah, he kind of becomes normal again. And then like kind of has to... Yeah, it's weird. And that part's unclear. They don't necessarily do a lot to make it make the mythology or sort of the rules particularly salient. Right. <laughs> Especially with the whole healing aspect cuz that was the thing I was like, "Wait, it it heals you?" Like whenever he like shows like his shoulder and I'm like, "So it pushes the bullet out of your body and like heals the wound like well i mean when he gets shot in the beginning he's down for like 10 seconds and he's like whoops not dead you know so and then and then he dies in the in the bear trap which is i i think i think maybe the idea is that they had to stay there for a while like long enough for him not to be able to eat right and at that point i was like is there another hour to this movie whenever he's like, <laughs> are we just going to sit here and us? wait? Like, <laughs> like, that's the sequel. Right, yeah. Which is like We're one the of them end. dies and then it's like they eat that one and it's like, oh, now here I go again, you know. That's the European version. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, but it is it is really interesting. I Because, I mean, as soon as I was done watching the movie, I like totally like looked up and like yeah, dug like, like deep into it. it. You know, I was like, whoa, this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And like the crazy part is like, I was like hearing that or reading that there's like the Wendigo psychosis that it's like actually a thing. Oh, um, interesting. And like hmm. that it's still like a living legend. Like this is still stuff that's talked about, especially in like Canadian regions mm-hmm. and like northern US. Like they said like there was like, a, you know, this uh, like a Wendigo sighting in like 2005 or Whoa. something like that. But so this, that this is something that's still going on. And that there's, like, records of, um, especially back in, like, the 1800s. Like, there's one, which this is pretty brutal, like, disclaimer warning. Um, But that there was um, this Native American family that was, like, trapped in a storm. And the son died. And so the father was, like, in order for us to survive, you know, we need to eat him. And so they, like, ate him. And then he went crazy and, like, ended up, like, killing the rest of his family and eating them, too. And then, like, turned himself in afterwards. And, like, they're like, oh, yep, that was the Wendigo psychosis. And and that there was um, another... So, like, um, cannibalism must have been relatively common in... In the more northern regions, because people would get stranded for a while. I mean, because it's like you know the Donner Party and all that. That's like the most famous instance of cannibalism. Donner Party. We don't hear about the whoever, however many other people. Exactly. The same thing. And apparently, there's like, um, I think it was like a man in the Cree tribe was like, a lot of the northern tribes would have um, certain people in there who would be the person to ward off Wendigo spirits Mm. and who would like kind of, like, find out if someone had them. And so there was, in, like, the late 1800s, one of the Cree men in in their village said, like, he had a legend of, like, oh, he warded off, like, 30 of the Wendigo spirits or something like that. And then at one point, he and his brother became convinced that there was this whole group of people that was possessed by the Wendigo. And so they went in and, like, killed, like, 14 people. And to, like, stop the spirits that were, like, attacking them and then, like, you know, got arrested for it and all that. And it's just, like, and they're, like, oh, but we were, like, hunting the Wendigo. Like, we were doing good things for you. And so it's really fascinating, like, how much of this is, like, actually, like, Like recorded. Like, embedded, Mm. yeah. Right. 
Right. But we don't hear anything about it. Like, I'd never heard anything about this before this. And I think it's interesting, particularly that they said it in California, and then this myth is obviously a Northeast kind of thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and cannibalism itself is just like, nobody really wants to talk about cannibalism. True. Like, it's just yeah. kind of a... It's just not done. I mean, it's not... Mm. I wouldn't say it's completely taboo, but it's, yeah, it's... So we kind of but shy away are, from it. We don't want to. We don't want to ask that question of ourselves. Would we do that in that situation? No, I don't think anyone wants it as a personal thing. But yeah. it fascinates people. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's why, like, it the Hannibal franchise is so popular because it's like, oh, what? Like, that just seems like one of the darkest places you can go to. And I remember, um, I don't know, probably like eight or nine years ago, watching like National Geographic, and there was like a documentary on like cannibal cannibals in like South America or something, and I was like, that looks really fascinating and I don't want to watch it but I do want to watch it. Did you watch it? <laughs> no, I didn't. I don't. I caught this thing a long time ago. Um so mad cow disease is a result of um feeding cows and sheep meal with the, with cows and sheep um parts in it. Um yeah. and they found in these cannibal societies, I'm not sure where they were, um that they had the same type of brain lesions and like they, they mm. kind of like eats holes in your brain mm. um, as mad cows got. And so they think that it's just like a way, a genetic way to kind of weed out people who eat each other. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 I mean, it's just like I mean, not natural, thing. you know, like yeah. nature fights back against that. And like, I remember like uh, seeing something about that, like a, like a sh- documentary short about it and just like how, um, I mean, like how much it really messes with your brain and like that, you know, even if you're unaware of it, it kind of like feeds itself in and like leads to, um, especially like, except for it causes tremors, like shaking hands. Mm -hmm. I have heard that. Yeah. You start shaking if you're a cannibal and like, um, that even like an offspring that there's deformities because of it. Like, I mean, I guess mm -hmm. there's more to this Wendigo than we realize. Right. Yeah. (laughs) If, if like it psychologically affects you to eat people. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that that would be like considered the same thing because that's like more of a cultural thing. So I don't know if that's in the same realm of this because this is something where yeah, it's like... Yeah, we're talking about can, like American cannibals or... Yeah. Right. Because like the whole thing of the myth is like, okay, people who push it off and then like as a last resort have to go into it and then they're like... And not like everyone gets claimed Crazy, by it. Right? Yeah. That's true. And some people just get possessed and like have to keep on eating people okay but like let's talk about what if there are spirits like what if that's real and like that's what happens when you eat people let a dark spirit in yeah it's crazy it's it's very very interesting let's get real yeah um okay any more spirit stuff Hmm. i have a direction i want to take this conversation yeah let's go um, cause initially when I was talking to Connor about coming on, I was like, oh, let's talk about women directors. And like, it's happened to me a handful of times in my life that I've like seen a movie and been like, at the end of it, like, oh, a girl directed this, you know, and been kind of like, I wouldn't have guessed that. And, um, I hate saying that, um, as me, yeah. but, um, it kind of opens up this conversation of like what is what do we what what are our expectations of like women directors and like how do they shoot and what kind of stories do they tell and even though Antonio Bird this wasn't her movie initially like mm. 
she did get in there and shoot it. Like, I mean, she, like, those scenes in the cave and all of the action stuff, everything is very um, up close and personal in a way. Mm. And she doesn't shy the camera away from showing anything, which is like, I would, I think people stereotypically would say isn't very female. Um, so that was just kind of one thing that like struck me of like, how would this movie be different if a man directed it? Would it like, because I also know that she was a friend of Robert Carlyle's. I think that's part of what makes right. this movie really good is there, I have a feeling there was a lot of dialogue with the actors and kind of allowing them to feel into it. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, that was just something that, like, popped into my head. Right. Yeah. I had no idea it was a girl director, like, until after the movie. Uh, yeah, so kind of the same position there. That I, score, too. Like, I'm not sure who chose it or at what point it was yeah. being written or whatever, but that's another thing where you're like, it's so atonal, it's so uh, mm-hmm. intense, it's so weird. Like, it's just another really weird yeah. element. It's not consistent ever. No. It's it's And then there's certain points in which it's, like, totally out of place in terms of what you would think makes sense for the scene but then it adds this like weird emotional layer of I I mean I think it's just all about levels of insanity or like layers of insanity but um that's something too I I, for whatever reason wouldn't stereotypically think would be a woman's choice Mm -hmm. but I'm glad she made it and I'm glad she worked on this awesome movie right well I think for me the thing that like surprised me the most was like not really like the gore as much or like even just kind of the action because it's like of course like anyway. I watch Catherine Bigelow movies right. you know and like mm-hmm. she is like one of the like she knows how to direct action like mm-hmm. in a way that no one else can and oh, like yeah. in a really fantastic way but just like the fact that there basically was no female characters was the thing that like yeah. surprised me like the most about it where I was like I'm you know I'm it, like it makes sense historically but you're also I mean it's also just like I don't know. It like kind of surprised me that. Well, how much you know, of it was so... her decision? Because that's because yeah, how much like, do you really I mean, get I to think choose? She just came in and got a job, right? right true. Probably, she had what so. one one week to to prep and to do all this. Yeah, I'm because like some directors have years to do that, and so yeah. how much? It's certainly not her baby. How much yeah. of this movie mm-hmm. can really be hers with her only coming on in such short notice? So right. it's kind of hard to know. Really hard to tell. I think so too. Yeah. Right. Um, and even just like I was watching some interviews with Robert Carlyle and Mark Cousins, who's like the famous, you know, film documentarian and uh, them just talking about like her methods in that and that even though she is a very like staunch feminist, that a lot of her movies and I this is the only film of hers or like TV, like I haven't seen any of her TV stuff that she directed, but a lot of like the subject matter focuses like on masculinity instead mm-hmm. and then like mostly has like male characters too, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. I have to say that I I really, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because I'm watching it, you know, at my age. It's probably some combination of, like, the fact that I am as old as I am and that I'm rewatching it from a different point of view. And then also what's, like, going on in our society right now. Um, I don't think, just generally speaking, and certainly not often in filmmaking, men 
have a detachment from their own feelings about masculinity and I think that might kind of be where like the nuance comes in mm-hmm. um, because it's not very judgmental and it's not particularly hostile towards men and doesn't really say men are shit or anything like that but it does definitely show a lot of um, human weakness mm-hmm. um, but I think that there's a level of sort of an examination of masculinity, like kind of what I talked about earlier, and then like some compassion for the culture that, especially like that military culture, which mm-hmm. is like all about like a certain stereotype yeah. of masculinity. Right. I Yeah, I really appreciate, you know, that you said that because I was thinking that, you know, too, of just like on retrospect of thinking like, okay, you know, one of the big aspects is like masculinity and like how that plays into it. And especially, um, I think she doesn't, like you said, like, say like oh men are just always horrible like they always just have like these horrible tendencies but a lot of it is like kind of circumstantial and like historical as well like the time period survival like the time period that they're in like heavily affects it especially like the view of masculinity at that time where it's like you know you weren't a man if you didn't go to war like you didn't fight for your country if you didn't like if you wouldn't rather be shot than be taken alive you know that sort of thing right that's such a big part of especially American culture as well like and like as a woman watching that scene and and having that guy be like you're you're a disgrace I'm like wait why like I don't fully get that because like it's more nuanced to me but maybe if you're a guy you do get it you know like I don't know I I definitely understand where it's coming from but I'm like clearly that was the much more tactical move you know like that's like like, I would have done it yeah it's like that makes so much more sense than just like blindly charging in like it in a lot of ways like but like intellect is considered almost like suspicious mm-hmm. you know in that mm-hmm. in that view of masculinity yeah like why are you fighting with your brain instead of like with your heart and with your muscles like all your yeah. body like it should your be a very teeth. visceral thing <laughs> yeah like just go for it instead of like oh no let's sit down and like plan this out like all right here's the little like uh flags you know this is where we are this is where they are let's mm-hmm. deploy this amount of troops amount of troops yeah and just like even the way like football right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Even just the way of like war was fought back then where it's like it was a very structured regimental thing where it's like, of course, one side has their army, the other side is theirs, you'll meet on a plane and just like walk towards each other and just shoot, you know, and that was very much, I mean, it started breaking more around that time, especially with the Civil War and even the Revolutionary War starting in that, um, but just that there's like that certain amount of like, you just expect a soldier to easily give his life away and not even think about it. And like that, that really playing into like. And they like, they want to do that. Right. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. World War One, I especially think about that where it's like these people in trenches where it's like, you know, if you send these people over the trenches, they're going to get shot and they're going to die. And the yeah. people in the trenches know that. And it's like, yep, you're still expected to do that, yeah. you know, instead of like. I mean, it's, yeah, coward. You can't be a coward. Like that's, you're worthless if you're a coward. And, right. But the definition of a coward being, you know, defined by what? Mm-hmm. Right. By the, the drill sergeant. <laughs> yep. You're a coward, yeah. By someone else's perception of what's valuable. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yep. And Riley, I mean, I'd be interested on your opinion of this as well, as well, of just like even the view of like masculinity. I mean, because even though I did live in Arkansas for a long time, growing up in California, there wasn't like as much of like the the typical man role like you expected to live up to and all and that. are you like from texas right i'm not or? from texas i'm from arkansas so born and raised in northwest arkansas 
uh, Silent Springs, where me and Connor went to high school. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've never, uh, at least, like, my dad is, um, I wouldn't say he's, like, def- like a macho man. I mean, he was always my, I mean, I looked up to him a lot, and so he was kind of what I thought masculinity was. But, again, growing up, I didn't really have a concept of masculinity. I just knew what it meant to be maybe maybe I had a stronger representation of like what a father should be as opposed to like what a man should be and so do you feel like what's like your like the, your cry barometer like where <laughs> was it okay to cry oh yeah oh yeah I mean I uh let's see what was the last time I I mean I cried during <laughs> I cried during <laughs> I've shared this before on the podcast I mean I cried during 24 tv show 24 did you ever watch that show yeah, but um, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, it was an old one. I was in high school when I when I watched. It was season two. It, I mean, but it was a really tender moment, and I cried. No, yeah, I mean, my I have never... Okay, I, I saw my dad cry during uh, my granddad's funeral. That was, like, one of the few times I've ever seen him cry. So, so he probably has a cry thing, you know, a cry barrier. Yeah, definitely. But he's always been great about about, like saying hey this is not you know this is what culture sa- says that manliness is but it's not like you know guys are emotional just as much as girls are uh, i mean that's... i think it's interesting sorry i don't mean to step on you no, but i good. think you just inspired me like <laughs> it's interesting how uh you can want better for what comes after you but not be able to achieve it yourself Mm -hmm. you know and like you just like you can't perform the activity or the change in your own in your own life but Mm -hmm. you can desire for other people to do it Mm -hmm. right that's good yeah i don't i don't think there was like a dissonance for me when i like went out into the world is uh i think um just the way i was raised it's like hey you know we're all humans and we're going to experience a lot of the same emotions and saying that you shouldn't feel this because you're a man. That's, it's not even logical. It doesn't make sense. You know? Mm. No. So you're uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of have the inverse because I'm a pretty, I wouldn't even necessarily say I'm that assertive because I definitely have a lot of moments of introversion, but Mm. I like, I communicate very directly and I'm like, if you ask me a question, like I, I assume you want me to just answer honestly. And like, I never had girlfriends growing up because like, I couldn't play that game of like, Mm. I mean, I remember being like in ninth grade and, and being in the bathroom and some girl saying she was fat. And I was like, I know you want me to say you're not fat and you're not fat, but Mm. I don't want to tell you you're not fat just because you're trying to trick me into telling you you're not fat. Mm -hmm. Like the compliment fishing thing. Mm -hmm. And there's all these rules around, around like, girl group interaction that even to this day like I have I most of my closest female friends are all single like single people who we only hang out one-on-one and they also don't hang out in groups of women and have Mm. more male friends and female friends Mm. but you you sort of see a different kind of it's a quieter backlash. Like nobody ever screamed in my face (laughs) saying like, you need to be more demure. But um, there was always sort of this subtle, like she's not one of us or like Mm. you're doing it wrong or like, Mm. you know, why do you hang out with guys kind of thing? Mm. What is your experience of masculinity? I don't know. I mean, just, I mean, the reason why I asked you Riley was not in any way to like, stereotype like southern behavior or anything like Mm -hmm. that but just like in my own personal experience of like 
not really having a whole lot of that while living in California. I mean, true, I was young, but even still, like, I remember, like, going into school, like, that that was kind of, there was, like, much more of that sort of a stature of, like, oh, this is how a man is supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, wait, what? You like, know? kind of hit you because it happened when you were older? Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And even, um, like, my my jobs over there that I had and, like, my first, I, I guess my first job was, like, working at, like, a Little Caesars pizza place, you know? And, like, even there it was, like, it's like, you're going to be a man and do that. Like, suck it up and do that. I was like, what? I'm, I'm at a pizza place. Like, I'm getting paid <laughs> minimum wage. Like, <laughs> Suck what up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but even when I started doing, like, grounds crew at uh, JBU, the university that Riley and I went to, that that was very much a sort of thing because it was a very, like, manual labor, very intensive right. sort of job. And it was very intense. And, like, you know, there'd be times, like, you know, where it's, like, something, like, it really hard emotionally it happened and like I wouldn't be like slacking off or anything but it's like you could just tell like you know I didn't have the full energy in me like whenever I was like digging ditches and all that and like the boss would just come over and be like what's wrong I'm like I'm sorry you know just you know this happened and he's like we're gonna be a man and do the work anyway you know like just that sort of thing I was like what like yeah there's like this um motivational sort of thing that that the militaristic style goes into that's Mm. yeah it's it's predicated on making you like doubt your worth or something in right. order to get you to work hard. Exactly. Like you can just push anything away and that always works. Yeah. Like that heals everything, you know, just shove it inside and never think about it. You know, you know, what's funny though, you say that and I feel like in Arkansas there was like plenty of big trucks and sort of lots of hunting and, and things like that that were kind of alien to me in terms of like that you don't see a ton of that in LA and I'm, <laughs> I got desensitized to it. Um, but, and it was like, it was like, it was something I would kind of be like, you just don't see this at home kind of reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like I also encountered so many like gentle men with really overbearing wives, like, mm-hmm. like just <laughs> anecdotally, like in public being like bossed around by their wives and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, it kind of makes me wonder like how that binary works out. It's like, I guess it just depends on your relationship dynamic. <laughs> right. I, I, I definitely agree with you on that where there is a lot of like, heavily matriarchal families there and like Mm. yeah it's the exact same thing where it's like you know it's like the man has to be a man at work but inside the house it's like nope yes honey like whatever pillow you want to put on the couch you can get exactly (laughs) yeah it is i mean that is really fascinating that you know i've seen with a lot of houses that i've been over (laughs) to there and it's like it's always like really funny too it's like you just like walk in and you get the feeling it's like yeah, she runs the house. You know, this is this is her place. You and know, maybe there's like some some sort of prize you get for graduating to being married that you don't have to. You're like, oh, I don't have to be in charge anymore. You know? mm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> take the reins. I don't want it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, going back into the film. Yeah, sorry, um, that was a long. Day. No, it's all good. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought, and kind of like going back even to your topic. Um, and just whenever we were like discussing films that whenever you said like, all right, we're picking Ravenous. And I was like, Ravenous, I've never <laughs> even heard of that. And I was like, okay, there's like the 2017 Ravenous that's oh, on yeah. Netflix. Oh, yeah. I don't think I that's it. Don't. And it was like, wait, the 1999 when I looked it up, I was like, that's it? Like, because we were talking about like, you know, like Jane <laughs> we were, Campion films. And we were films talking and, like, about like Nora Ephron Nora and Efron, stuff like yeah. that. Like, we're going to do a, we're going to do a Nancy Myers episode. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> we're going to watch like You've Got Mail or like... <laughs> 
What do you, I mean, there's a plenty of things to say about You've Got Mail, but like, that's something that I think is, I love that movie, but you know, mm-hmm. it's funny. Like, you're going to just talk yeah. about it on a surface level. You're not mm. really, that's not really. Right. Yeah. That's why I was like, I don't really know if I want to do that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good one. You know, like, it's, it's like, I think it's really one. well Ooh, written. It's, it's like all Nora Ephron stuff is like, it's in the writing, really. Right. So. Yeah, she has an interesting direction because my favorite film of hers that she's written, but she didn't direct it, was When Harry Met Sally. And that's like one of my Mm. favorite films of all time. I love that movie so much because it really does dig into uh, like what does a relationship look like. And um, I mean, just like, I think I talked about this with you whenever we were on True Detective of just saying like, you know, it's much more interesting to see like the building up than of like the relationship than the actual like finished product like you have to have the action to it you can't just have two people saying i love you because it's like i'm not buying that like Mm. if they just say it it doesn't mean anything you have to see kind of like where it comes from and one of the quotes that i see on here actually like all the time (laughs) that you said was like uh i that you you always think like films about like friends are much more interesting than films about like relationships you know yeah and so I think that's one of the reasons why, like, when Harry Met Sally works, because it blends those really two is together. Really friends. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the other sort of, well, Point Break is one woman movie mm. that you wouldn't think is a woman movie. Because, also because, like, guys just, like, love it like candy. Mm-hmm. I've never but seen then, it. I've never seen Point Break. It's I don't know. You might like it. Keanu Swayze. <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, it just makes no sense. Like, there's nothing. It's like, you know, it's like a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. It's like, it's like you just, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like a fantasy of, like, surf <laughs> helicopter. I don't yeah. know. Like, Firing guns at everything. <laughs> yeah, like what? Oh, yeah. And it's like a lady directed that. And then um, the other one is... Uh, that I was just recently watching, and I was like, "Wait, what is Wayne's World?" Yeah, I was like, oh, really? "What?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and who was that? Penelope Spheris. Huh. Okay. She's on. She's featured on um, the the uh, Criterion Channel right now. Right. And that's what kind of put her on my mind. But I had I had totally forgotten. That. And then I was watching the credits. That we rewatched <laughs> it a few weeks ago, and I was like, "What?" Like, yeah. It because it definitely. But it's awesome. I it's great. love that about it, but. Yeah, I mean, she adapted their humor from, like, the SNL sketches, like, really well. And I think, like, it, one of the reasons why it's, like, oh, like, a woman directed this is because it's, like, it doesn't, like, it seems like dude humor, you it's know? It's so goofy, and and then the way women are portrayed is so, like, sexualized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they're not, they're powerful, but it's it's all about their sexuality, really. Right, like, the whole happy birthday Mr. President scene you know yeah. like just that sort of stuff it's like I mean that is like the treatment of it throughout the film you yeah. know and yeah anyways yeah and just like I don't know even kind of like the harder like rock and roll aspects of like having Alice Cooper in there you know and just right. like rocking out to Bohemian Rhapsody you know and just like it's not just like one big course of them in there but just like kind of individually like taking turns and then like the head banging in there it's like yeah guys yeah. I totally do yeah, that you like, know what's, what girl does that <laughs> Um, also is another movie that's like an examination of like different representations of masculinity and mm. like fighting to win, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. So why do you think like, I mean, that is of just like, 
of having these like female directors. I mean, like I would even say when Harry Met Sally definitely has aspects of that in there, even the relationship between um, the main character and like his best friend of like, um, of like the male main character of, um, I'm totally forgetting his name right now. Yeah, is it Bruno Kirby? Yeah, Bruno Kirby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like kind of there, it's like, he's like, yeah, you know, I just sit and cry with her and like talk with her and he's like, and you two don't have sex, you know? And it's like, that's like the sort of thing of like, he's like, no, we're just friends, you know? And like... Like guys don't even get that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I th- I mean, my like I really have no idea because obviously we're talking about this, like they all thought about it and they probably did not. But um, yeah. I think that my, my kind of gut instinct is that relationships are complicated and... And for me, like, I analyze all my relationships, but I particularly the ones with men because I feel like there is a disconnect there. And so I'm, like, seeking to constantly understand how they work because I really do feel like it's a different species. Like, girls I don't fit in with, but I fully get. Like, (laughs) I understand how they work. Like, my mom, I get her. Like, but my dad is just something, like, I've never mastered him, you know? Like, and I can't, and, like... It's the same with pretty much every guy I've ever known. It's yeah. like, yeah, you just kind of are seeking to like, and it is my experience that guys tend to be slightly less self-aware than women, and, and they don't like to talk about their feelings as much, and I feel like in my closest relationships with men, like the biggest fights I've ever gotten with is when I've said, this is who you are and this is what you're doing right now, and they, mm. they and I'm right, mm. and they're like, ah! No, <laughs> and then like they come back and they're like it was true and that's an, another thing is like I think maybe on some larger scale like we want to show that we can see you guys or something I don't know yeah I mean I think even it even kind of goes in like biologically of the way like of how different like the brains work of like <laughs> this is something that happens between my girlfriend Claire and I like all the time where we're just sitting and talking and she's like you know what are you thinking about I'm like nothing you know and she's like, like what no way. how do you do that yeah <laughs> that's not a thing right yeah yeah, yeah. no and, that's so Nora yeah. Efron mm-hmm. yeah and just like you know and she's like or like she'll bring up something and I was like I was just you know I felt like this about myself I'm like wait what why how would you even think about that about yourself you know like yeah. how could you be that critical of and your, you're you like know? haven't you been around your own mother like yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but even just like the whole like I don't, I mean, Riley, I don't know if that's for you. Yeah. (laughs) Like, of just being able to, like, be like, I don't really want to think about anything right now. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it's totally a fact. Like, guys can do that. They can, they can not think of anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just, it's kind of this space in your head you just go to, and your eyes kind of, like, kind of move apart, and they're, like, not really (laughs) focusing on anything. And maybe you're kind of listening to some stuff in the background, but you're not really actively processing information in your brain so i've definitely had tapped into the secret (laughs) the secret yeah (laughs) it's being able to turn it all off it's so nice there's this really funny um speaking of your girlfriend kind of interpreting you know like receiving negative feedback about herself from like subtle sources there's this really really funny um and i don't know i think i saw it on youtube or something British sketch comedy that um, parodies commercials Hmm. and they're like they show um, the one for men and it's like this like you know middle-aged man it's like all kind of grizzly and he's like men 
shave and get drunk because you're already brilliant. (laughs) And then it goes to the women and it's like, women, your house is filthy and your or no, like your 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 clothes are your clothes are stained and your children are filthy or something like that. Like that's it, like so critical of like. I'm sorry that I butchered it, but um, <laughs> it's so funny. Like how I mean, it's literally that binary of like we sell mm. to men by telling them how awesome they are, and we sell to women by telling them how much they need to hate themselves. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I mean. That is like definitely very true. It's like even just like with simple things of like deodorant commercials where it's like acts, I think of especially where it's like, put this on your body and every woman will watch you. <laughs> They're in a 30 mile radius. They'll just float right to you. You know, like yeah. that sort of thing. And then like for women, it's just like, you need to be clean. Like this doesn't do it as well for you. So you need to do this to be better. Yes. Hmm. And then the other thing like in that nuance that actually has started has started to happen and and super pisses me off is like dove for mm. example um you know about five years ago when body positivity became like a, a phenomenon and we could have like um, plus size women in sports illustrated and mm. all that they started doing a a body positive campaign with plus size models and i'm like you're the same company that last year told me like i needed to look like skinny and white in order to Mm. be pretty and now you're telling me no it's okay to just be whatever you want Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna buy your soap like you just want to sell me soap like it was always okay (laughs) for me to be whatever i want you know what i mean like Mm. like that kind of thing is kind of it's like a good thing but it drives me crazy because it's so all of this like female empowerment stuff is so in in racial stuff too is so motivated by some cynical jerk trying Mm. to make money and it's like that's the that's you're robbing the people of like their movement right and even just like the fact of like separating it that it's like oh this is like you're saying it's like oh this is going to be like the plus size sports illustrated and then this is going to be the normal one like even still it's like they're still doing it because of that it's like Mm. no it's not like a neat like oh we're going to put all of it forward and then kind of go back to like what it was. It's like it needs to be an integration of things. Like it can't just be we're going to put this on a pedestal because that still alienates it Agreed. in a way. Agreed. Agreed. This is a very different tangent. Yes. <laughs> this, and we went from cannibalism yeah. to body positivity. I, it's no. sort of related. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, should we talk about the score of this film? Yeah. I, That's I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, right? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it just felt random at that point i just remember very specifically a banjo playing at a certain yeah. point when i'm like this is not, like, not this really it. playing there are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of moments in life that are banjo moments mm-hmm. <laughs> this one was not a banjo moment <laughs> 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 oh, it was funny right but um yeah and you know that that was the one that stuck out the most because like who did the score exactly i think uh, damon albarn and andrew Naiman yes. or nyman it was kind mm-hmm. of a weird yeah, and then there's this, there's this, oh, I was kind of paying attention to it when I was watching it. There was this, like, electric guitar riff moment, and these, like, like, drums. Um, yeah. They must have just been, like, watching the movie and, like, around. And yeah. Like, Here you I go. Mean, yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of, like, inserted rhythm section moments where you just, yeah, just some random yeah. drums, or yeah. it's like, like, there was lots of melodies, but then there were lots of moments where they just inserted some strange rhythms. Uh, yeah, it was just bizarre. Out of place sporadic um yeah it was, it was hard to guess what was coming next 
<laughs> right. It wasn't very syncopated, really. Like, that was kind of one of the things that bothered me about it, is, like, a lot of it just felt like they went in to GarageBand, found three different tracks, <laughs> and were like, oh, this sounds good, and then just, like, layered it over each other, you know? It's, like, the, just, like, there are times when it kind of worked, but other times where it would be, like, the bands are, like, down, 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 yeah, and then, the like... the use of it is actually more weird to me than the actual sound of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Is, like, where it's placed, and sometimes it, like, it has... I mean, I think it was just an experiment, which is fine. Um, but, like, sometimes it has this very, like, f- cute, funny quality that feels mm-hmm. really, like, right. And then at other times, really not right. right. And then you'll just hear, like, this one-off guitar riff that you never hear again. And you're like, what was that? You know, like, yeah. And <laughs> they do it over, like, conversations, too. Like, yeah. just normal, yeah. I'm having a conversation. Like, we don't need... We don't need music to curate this moment. Like, just let me hear them talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, one of the moments I think of where I just kind of feel like it was really off was right after the discovery that it's a trap and Calhoun goes in and kills mm, them mm-hmm. and then mm. starts running away. And it's, mm-hmm. like, this, like, hillbilly, like, you know, like, and you're like, It's very eerie. It makes the moment, like, scarier to me. Hmm. Because it's, like, one other sense element that comes in. Because I actually think that that's, like, I kind of, if I was going to, like, insert myself into a scene of the movie that was the scariest, like, to me, that's, like, like, total unknown of, like, what the f*** this guy's going to do. He just stabbed somebody in the stomach. Like, he just... (laughs) lick to dude like i don't know like there's so many and then the dude jumps off the the cliff Mm -hmm. yeah i just there's so much adrenaline in it and i like that weird hillbilly thing is kind Mm. of one extra element kind of a yeah deliverance throwback yeah (laughs) right yeah the way i kind of saw it was like that actually kind of frustrated me was Mm -hmm. like i thought she was kind of trying to do there's a technical term for this that i cannot remember um like a Kubrickian sort of thing of like the whole scene in like Clockwork Orange where they like infiltrate the house and he's singing like singing in the rain and mm-hmm. just like how the reason why it's so haunting is because it's so like jovial right. and and so I thought she was trying to do something I like think that but you're it right just, actually it didn't really hit me in that same sort of way yeah. you know like it, like it's supposed to be disturbing because of how light it is in a dark situation because I think there's a lot of light sound throughout the movie and dark mm. moments right yeah do you think what what do you think this movie was trying to be the most was it trying the most to be a horror movie or probably not I a comedy i think it was trying to be a ghost movie or you know like yeah. not like a ghost but like a supernatural thriller yeah right yeah it didn't really seem like one of anything and like my biggest struggle with it actually was like what is this movie trying to say like <laughs> Yeah. I I don't really get what it's after because there are parts of it where I'm like, it, it just seems like the edgy cheesiness of like, oh, be a cannibal because you'll live forever, you know, like that sort of thing. And just like, are we trying to be converted to cannibalism? Well, like, and, then, and the thing is, it's like, it gives, because it's weird I and mean, because it's off in so many ways and it's clearly like, you know, there's no box it fits in. You want you want to approach it with this idea of like, well, they must have had a like a reason, or there must have been something underneath this. But it's kind of like Memento, which um, you know, like is a movie that I remember seeing when it came out and just being like, whoa, you know. <laughs> and then I watch it now and I'm like, 
he tattoos on his body. That's what is who does that? Like nobody does that. You know, that's stupid. And like there's got to be better ways. That's the basis for. There's so many holes, you know, like. But that's the basis for the whole the whole movie Memento, which seems like this incredibly deep thing, is really just like, and it's it's like on wikipedia that jonah nolan thought it would be cool to like write a story around somebody who tattooed Mm. memories on their body Hmm. (laughs) yeah i think a lot of like so mm. you know we might be like just loving our time reading into it but maybe there's no reason right yeah i think nolan definitely messes with like technique and style in the beginning a lot more than like that sort of story stuff i mean he does it like well though like in an entertaining and like good way because like well he, he i mean He's not the greatest example because he's he's actually is thoughtful, but um, like I think that there's like a threshold where thoughtfulness goes sometimes, mm. and we may be crossing it. Yeah, <laughs> my friend, former guest on here, Travis Olson, and I were just like going to like screenings this last <laughs> weekend at um at, at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica because they were doing a Coen Brothers marathon there, which mm. was fantastic. Wow. Um, but they had this guy there who was, like, moderating it in a way. He had just written a book on them. And, you know, throughout, like, before each one, he's like, I don't want to give too much away, but look out for this. Like, look out, look out for sidewalks or look out for parking lots because you'll never see them the same way after this. There's something in it where they represent this emptiness and, like, just kind of going deep into this. And you watch the movie and you're like, well, that was, like, that's totally not how the Coens were planning it. You know, he's like, there was a fracture in the glass, which represents like the disconnect between reality and film. And he's showing you that. So that way the barrier seems to be broken. And I'm like, no, Deacons did that because it looked good and like yeah. added to the story. You know? Well, I mean, the more you, the more you invest yourself in the film business or in making movies as a craft, you know, like, the one thing I, I like, we had a lot of press on set for Deadwood, and they would, they would all come in and want, you know, some kind of like glorified story, and like, and it's just like, dude, we have a job and we're doing it. Like, like, I, like, I know that it is more than that, and I don't mean to like, I don't mean to make it sound like it's a, a you know, sardine factory or anything, but it's just like, you. At the point at which you're coming up with the ideas, yeah, you're trying to be deep. At the point at which you're shooting them, you are, you know, 11 hours in and you haven't eaten yeah. and, like, trying to finish you know, the this ship. guy's being an <laughs> asshole and this guy's yelling and, like, this is broken and, you know, like, that's what's happening, people. Like, yeah. That's how decisions are getting yeah. made. And then yeah. they're getting cleaned up later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the good directors know how to work with that sort of stuff. And a lot of times I feel they just get lucky. Like something yeah, happens. I think they know that too, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's more sort of like journalism that tries to elevate them into like these incredible like visionary, you know, not that they don't have vision, but like, like seeing something that wasn't there. And it's like, no, they're just dealing with what happened. Right. And that's like always kind of the human thing where it's like we want to go deep because we want to know there's like more to this than what it is like, but that's our that's our joy as an audience this is something like when you were talking about like reading into stuff it's something like whenever you um nick pizzolato was on a round table with for the hollywood reporter and the thing that he talked about on that they showed on the video was that he, it always surprises him like how much fans want to like 
he's like, I just showed you what the answer was. And like, you want to, you want to have eight more answers after that? It's like, mm-hmm. no, that's not it. It's just what it is. <laughs> and he, it, it's frustrating to him, but I, I, it kind of made me think it's like, that's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're there to have these types of conversations. Like we're here to read into something to the tune of an hour and a half, you know, right. like, cause that's, what's fun for us. We're like pulling stuff from our lives and seeing it in there or history. Yeah. It's it, helping us put a lot of stuff together, you know? Yeah. They shouldn't have to tell us how to interpret it. I mean, no, that's and, not it, their and job. they shouldn't yeah. care what we, what we come up with either by yeah. the same token. Mm-hmm. I think this goes for like, a lot of the different positions in the film industry as well, like not just for directors, where I think um, directors of photography, especially where people really read deep into it, it's like, oh, this is how they're using visual cues to like do it like this. And like, this is what this lighting is supposed to mean. And um, I mean, the person I think of especially is Roger Deakins, where everyone, like a lot of my friends have like looking, it's like, oh, this is like what the shot means because he composed this and this like this. And in interviews with him, he's like, no, cinematography should like never be like distracting like you shouldn't be trying to make it complex the purpose of the cinematographer is to tell a story yeah Yeah, and something beautiful it shouldn't ever be like too complex in that i just i just came off of a show um which will remain nameless that um (laughs) that like that's how everyone was thinking and and it was like sucking the soul out of the movie like completely um it was like everything was so overthought and it was like we can't show a single thing without it being somehow symbolic to this and it would all and all of it was like a little you know russian doll and mm. um the end result is that it's like this sort of sterile over intellectual thing and I don't think that the audience that it's intended for is going to even appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And it may be a good movie. I, I don't know for sure. But um, to me, it was just like maddening. It's like because I this is another thing I think about, like with male and female style of filmmaking or just my approach versus what I kind of notice with men. Um and I don't think one's worse or better. Um, I think they're complementary. But, like, I everything's intuitive for me. And, like, one of the things about going to film school that was hard for me is, like, I never wanted to have to articulate why I was making choices. Because it's like, look at it. It's either right or it's wrong, you know? Mm. Um, and so I just think, yeah, I think, like, it's just, it's it, whether it's masculine or feminine, I think it's more, like, intuitive decisions versus like overly thought ones Mm -hmm. and some things do require calculation but not most of it yeah definitely Uh, are you guys ready for the quiz slash challenge no but let's do it all right (laughs) (laughs) all right we got it we got so trivia first so there are two composers for the film uh, michael nyman and damon albarn and damon albarn is actually he's part of multiple bands but there's one band, I mean, I guess there's two bands that he's really famous for, but I'm going to pick one of them. Uh, what is it? I know. You know? Go you know, it. go for it. Blur. That's not actually the one I have. Gorillas. Into- yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Gorillas is the answer. Okay. Yeah. But nice. Good job. Good job. Yeah. Well, that's my era. <laughs> okay, so no, this no, one no, might no, be no. a little bit more tricky. And yeah, just let me know if you need multiple choice for it. Um so Antonia Bird, you know, she first started off in theater, but then went into television after that. And what was her first television show that she directed? Is it A, EastEnders, 
B, the men's room, C, upstairs, downstairs, or D, full stretch? Upstairs, downstairs is, is speaking at me. What do you think, Michelle? A, EastEnders. Mm. Okay. <laughs> it's EastEnders. <laughs> oh! Yep. Very good. Very nice. That was intuition. Yeah. Actually, upstairs, downstairs is the only of those that she didn't direct in. Oh, of. funny. Yeah. But oh, it's a classic BBC series, though. Um, when Downton Abbey came out, I was like, what is exactly like Downton Abbey? And I watched every, every version of that that I could find. <laughs> yes. Upstairs, downstairs has two. So good. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a history question just because I'm a history nerd and I got to include something like that. All right. Um, who's president during the Mexican-American War? Um, Taft? No, this is like in the... This is this is like the eighteen Mexican American Wars, eighteen forty six to eighteen forty eight. Yeah, Taft is like nineteen hundred or something. Multiple choice. Uh, yeah, let's do multiple choice. A. Ulysses S. Grant. B. Martin Van Buren. C. Millard Fillmore. Or D. James K. Polk. I want to say it's one of the last two. I know it's not Grant. I don't know. Do you have an inclination, Michelle? No, I'm gonna do Martin Van Buren. Yeah, let's go with that. Incorrect. It's James K. Polk. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, which he actually received backlash for starting the Mexican-American War because um, everyone thought it was just a... No reason. Um, land grab, which it was. It was. So, yeah. yeah. That's what wars are. What are you talking about? Just wars a are. land grab. Yeah. It's too European for the Americans. <laughs> All we right. just like to grab the land. No <laughs> war, thank you. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The challenge for this, and there's no multiple choice, uh, what are the top 10 highest grossing films that are directed by women? Ooh. All 10 of them? All 10 of them. Well, there's got to be some Catherine Bigelow know. on there. Um, yeah, probably Zero Dark Thirty uh, sh- is one. I'll let you know. There's. Let's They're see. all Catherine Bigelow movies. <laughs> <laughs> there's three animated films on here. Is Wayne's World one of them? It is not. Mm. Is... Connor, is it a Brenda Chapman? Is she on there? She yeah. is not. Well, okay. maybe she is, actually. I should have looked that up. Okay. Um, I don't think she is. Ridgemont High or Clueless right. on there? No. What? Uh, okay. Uh, most of these are fairly recent. Actually, I think none of them come before 1999 is the earliest oh, one. Oh, that would make sense, actually. What are we thinking? And most of these are, like, pop movies. So pop? What is that? What do you mean? Like like very popular. Oh, yeah. Popular. Like not more like artistic films. Um like think of like some of the most commercial like a, films you oh, can think Twilight. of. Twilight. Twilight's uh, one of them. I bet Nancy Myers is on there. Yeah, I'm sure. She uh, but for what? Parent Trap? Surely not. Nope. Wasn't that 97? No, I think that was, no, that was 98, I think, yeah. yeah. Sorry. What's um, Whatever Works or whatever it's called? No. Jesus. Connor, I, did Penny Marshall, did I'm just, I'm just going to say, um, don't, it's like, don't think of it in the sense of like the artistic right, side of it. Like, think of it like, as like the commercial, have. like popular movies that came around. Was um, Wrinkle in Time? No. Yeah. What about um, Pitch Perfect? Uh, one of them is on here. Okay. 
Just the first one. Right. Pitch Perfect. One. No. The second one. Yes. Okay. There's two superhero films on here too. Um, Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. No, Wonder Woman Sky is number high. two. No. <laughs> Wonder Woman's number two. Yeah, and Twilight was number six, and Pitch Perfect Two is number seven. And there's three animated films. Uh, so yes. is one of them the feelings one? The feelings one. With uh, Amy Poehler and she like they're in. Oh no! Oh, Inside Out. That's, yeah. no, that's Pete Doctor. <laughs> that's Pete Doctor. Um. Yeah. There is a Disney film. Yeah, on it's here. gotta be Disney. Is it Tangled? No. Brave. No. Mm. Oh, I think Brave is also yeah. Brenda Chapman. I mean, we're close with Tangled. Remember, like, what movies have come out? Big Hero Six. No. You were closer with Tangled. Tangled Two. Think of something that was even more popular than Tangled. Oh. Frozen? No, Frozen. Yes. Yeah, Frozen. Wait, directed by a woman? She was a co-director on it. Was it Chris Lima? And I thought it was. I thought it was the same directors as Tarzan. I'm fairly certain there was a female director on it. That's what my source says. And okay, I'm, I'm sticking to it. Because we're never going to get... How many oh, yeah, you're right. Gen- Jennifer Lee. Chris Buck yeah. and Jennifer Lee. Frozen num- was, was number three. Frozen was only number three? Mm-hmm. You're still missing number one. It came out very recently. Oh, oh, oh. It's Captain Marvel. Yes. Oh. Captain Marvel was number one. Oh, right. Wow. Really? And who was that? Mm-hmm. Is that good? Or maybe you don't have a list of that. I didn't even see it. <laughs> I should have looked up I, the, yeah, the box was, office was on there. It was a movie. Uh, there's still two animated films on here. One is like one of the most classic 3D animated films ever. Toy Story? Maybe it's DreamWorks. Yeah, the other two are DreamWorks. One is a sequel. How to Train Your Dragon 2? Nope. Shrek 2? Nope. Puss in Boots 2? Nope. <laughs> you you were close with Shrek 2. I'll just say that. Hmm. Shrek but it's not the sequel one. Shrek the third? No. Shrek the fourth? Nope. Shrek 3D? Oh, no, like there's a, one left, Riley. Is there a donkey one? <laughs> I said it's not the sequel one. Oh. I'm basically giving Shrek. it to you. Oh, it's Shrek. Yes. I thought you said it was. I thought you said, I said it, was it wasn't the sequel. The, sequel one. the sequel is a different movie. Yeah. Shrek is number four. And then. Okay, is the sequel one a DreamWorks one? Yes. Okay. Um, there's another film on here that's not an animated film, but it's close, and it rhymes with sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Riley, do you know what it is? No. Oh. <laughs> the, it's, it's something and something blank. Alvin and Chip, uh, the Chip, uh, what is it? Alvin and, the Alvin and the Chipmunks and Squeakle? Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> that is what came to my head, but I was like, surely that's not number right. five. I have a friend who worked on four, and she's and whenever she runs into people who did it, Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, they're like, which one were you? And she's like, I was Road Chip. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> um, okay, so we didn't get the sequel one, though, right? No, you still have three films left. And one's animated, and it's a sequel, and it's a DreamWorks movie. I think both the of there's the aside from the animated sequel, the other two are rated R, I believe. Is any of them Zero Dark Thirty? No. Oh, okay. Bridesmaids? No. Oh, yeah. good one. Mm. 
That is not it, though. But that's directed by a man. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How to Train Your Dragon 3? No. I mean, Riley, I'm pretty sure... We haven't talked about this one on the podcast, but I think we've talked about the first one, and particularly the score. Hmm. Think big franchise, Riley. All right. If, if I say anything else, it'll give it away. I'm gonna. Yeah, I know you're gonna give it away. Lose? Like we're never gonna get the, it. Okay, so the hits. lead voice actors' initials in there are JB. Oh, it's um the. Is it How to Train Your Dragon? Wait, no, no, <laughs> you already went through all the How Jay to Train Barishel. Your Dragon. Oh, not oh. The the character, not the actor. Yes. Hmm? No, no, the actor, not the character. You really like wow. this actor, Riley. <laughs> You're really tripping me up. He's a very—he's a very comedic actor. He's in a couple Richard oh. Linklater films. Oh. Uh. Just wait. No, not Despicable Me. No. I really like this actor. He's well. He's in a movie that's directed by Richard Linklater that you like and I don't. Oh, oh, uh, um, it's the panda, Kung Fu Panda. Yes. Oh my God, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that was awful. Kung Fu Panda 2. So there's two left, and we I think... We don't deserve to live after that. Take <laughs> yeah. us out there. Yeah, Connor's helping us a lot. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's... The other two are rated R. Two other ones. I, I'm okay. sure on one, I'm not as positive on the other one, um... One of them, the one that I know is rated R, is part of a trilogy. And it's the first in a trilogy. Hmm. Kind of controversial. It's based off a book. Okay, it's based off a book. Kind of controversial. There's three of them. A very popular book. Hmm. Oh, um, Fifty Shades of whatever. Yep, Fifty Shades of Grey. Hmm. Okay, what's, what's the clue for the last one? If this is the one I'm thinking of, it has Mel Gibson in it. What Women Want? Yes. I was thinking I like of that. that movie. That no, movie I was thinking of What a Girl Wants. Cry Real Tears. Yeah. Real. I haven't seen all of it. I only saw the first 10 minutes of it because our friend Hank Black was like, dude, you got to watch this. It's so funny. And then like just turned it off after that. I was like, crying. what? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Hank, oh my God. Um, Helen yeah. Hunt's very wonderful actor. Who, yeah, Helen Hunt yeah, is great. I like her a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always get her and Holly Hunter mixed up. Do you? Yeah, just because of the names. Speaking of female-directed movies, um, Jodie Foster has a movie called uh, Home for the Holidays that's like huh. one of my all-time favorite movies, and it has mm. Holly Hunter. Mm. Um, okay. And it was an adaptation of a short story that's like very like it's it takes a lot of license with it. It's really mm. just like the tone and the mood of the short story. Yeah. Um. But it's so good. Like, mm. if you like When Harry Met Sally, I think you'd like that movie. Yeah, I'll definitely make sure cool. to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, Hopefully. I feel like we haven't seen Jodie Foster in a whole lot lately. No, I have a good think... Jodie Foster story, though. Yeah, go for it. When I was interning for Alexander Payne a long time ago, he was going to, um, he was talking to her about maybe being in, I think it must have been, would have had to be the Descendants. Um mm. 
and uh, she called me up and or she didn't call me up she called like our main line and I was like hey and he's she's like this is Jody Foster and I was like oh nobody's here because they would often like leave me totally alone in this office and um and she, I go can I take a message and she's like okay I'm gonna give you my cell phone number but I want you to do me a favor she's like as soon as you write it down fold it up into tiny little pieces and swallow it. <laughs> <laughs> and I never, and I didn't do that, but I also How didn't, did it taste? Yeah, I was going to darn it. Yeah. I didn't need it, but I, I was like, yes, ma'am, whatever you say. Isn't that like the weirdest thing? Like just working in an office and like picking it up and it's like well, one of the like lead actors answers the It's never a thing. Like you're talking, I mean, even on True Detective, like I talk to Mahershala personally constantly right. in person, but like anything, I never talked about his housing or anything that I actually took care of for him with yeah. anybody that was like not his manager, you know? Right, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's just those weird random things. Like, it literally just, like, happened to me at, like, work today. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, what? You know, like, it's just those weird things. And I think it's... Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I can actually talk about what I'm on. But <laughs> you probably can't. <laughs> probably not. Sure. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it definitely happened on, like, True Detective with some of the actors who only came in for, like, a little bit. And I was like, oh, shoot, you know? And, like... Yeah, but, like, when someone's as famous as that, like, I mean, right. that's totally... Totally unheard of. Mm-hmm. I think that about wraps us up. Unless if you have so. anything else you want to say, any Sorry stories or any thing you want to put out there into the podcast, whatever. I don't know. We put it all out there, I think. True. True. Yeah. Uh, I just want to go on record though and say, I like this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't I'm not just making you watch it to torture you I actually like it gotcha I still don't know how I feel about it yeah I really liked like the first like 30-40 minutes of it and then afterwards I was like I don't know how I feel about this movie I do thank Fair. you for broadening my horizons yeah by oh, making good. me watch that so I, I appreciate that yeah deep cut from yeah. the 90s seems like one of those films that just got buried you know like amidst all the stuff yeah. that happened in the 90s a lot of a lot of people who are into like indie nerds know mm. about it, um, mm. who are my age. So right, it's kind of a cult thing, I think. Yeah. Um, well, is there a place where you know people, listeners, can like find your work or like? Any I mean, sort of, like right now it's just sporadically on my um, Instagram, mm. which is Johnson Person, but I ha- I don't have a website yet. Um, it's really hard to build websites and um, every time I start doing it it's like eight hours later and I'm like I typed something you know <laughs> so um, yeah but that's about that's about the, my techno capacity right now is that I can post things to Instagram <laughs> nice <laughs> crazy you talk about building websites because today's episode is sponsored <laughs> no. <laughs> someday yeah, and then you can re-record it and yeah, yeah. We put it in. There we just go. Drop yeah. it in exactly. at the Throw, end. We'll put it like subliminal, subliminally subliminal. though, like yeah. throughout it. So like there'll be like gentle like whispers. Also, like, if you go commercial, you're gonna have to cut this down by like a quarter. So right. It'll just make no sense. Yeah. Exactly. Hard cuts. Oh man, that's great. Good. Well, good stuff. Cool. Um, yeah. So. Think that's, it was nice, nice chatting with you. Yeah, thank you yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being on. on. We'll have to have you on again and maybe yeah. talk about when Harry we'll talk about Harry, Yeah, yeah Harry I actually himself. want you to pick the movie next time and make <laughs> me like suffer in some way. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And 
also for our next episode, we will be covering the film The Iron Giant, and we will be um, featuring past guest uh, Stephen Legue and his younger brother Patrick Legue. So definitely want to keep on the lookout for that. Yeah. Um, well, make sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that sort of stuff. You can also email us too. And just with any questions or comments, observations, anything you want us to do differently, something you like about the show, all that sort of stuff. We just want to hear back from you guys. And yeah, I think that about wraps us up. Uh, We got to thank John Skinner for the use of the graphic and Caden Reed and Luke Hogan for the theme song and outro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as always, this has been Film Analysis for Modern Audience. (laughs) 